Hello, everybody. This is Mark Levecki. I am the executive editor of Providence Magazine, and I am, for the next two years, the McDonald Visiting Scholar at the McDonald Center for Theology, Ethics, and Public Life at Christ Church at Oxford University. And you are listening to the Dark Ops podcast. It's the podcast where the Provcast goes to the movies. And I am here with Nigel Bigger, who is a contributing editor to Providence Magazine, as well as the Regis Professor of Moral and Pastoral Theology at Christ Church, as well as the director of the McDonald Center. So for the next few years, he is my supervisor, so listen well. We are talking about Terrence Malick's 1998 film, The Thin Red Line, uh, 2018, if you do the math, you'll quickly realize it's the 20th anniversary. So it's a significant anniversary, but it's also a significant film, and we're here to try to uh, explain why and why we love this film. Uh, not everybody does, so hopefully by the end of this, uh, people are more intrigued to watch it again. Um, Nigel, welcome. Thank you very much. Nice to, nice to be here again. Yes, thank you for doing <laughs> this. We've done a, a couple of these before. Um, I'm sure we'll do a few of them in the future, but Thin Red Line. It's a three-hour movie. It's dense, uh, confusing, and you love it. Yeah, yes, I, I, I saw it shortly after it came out, uh, I think in early 1999, and uh, um, I'd just seen, like most people, had uh, Saving Private Ryan, uh, and right. being a bit of a, uh, a war movie buff, I was expecting something similar, but uh, The Thin Red Line is a different kind of film <laughs> altogether. Um, um, I mean, I've seen it since 1999, I think I've seen it about 10 or 11 times. Mm -hmm. And I think it's uh, uh, one of the most um, religious, even, I'd say, Christian films I've ever seen. That's right. No, I, I agree completely. I want to I poke in the beginning of your statement. You saw it right after seeing Private Ryan. I think I did too. Yeah. And I'm sitting in, I saw it in Slovakia, and I'm sitting in the, in the theater waiting for probably something like Saving Private Ryan. I didn't know Terrence Malick all that well. I think I'd seen one or two things, maybe. But he hadn't made a film, I think, for decades before. I, I'd never heard of him. I, no, he, he, I think, yes, there was one he made, was it called Badlands with... Uh, right. Uh, who was the guy who played in the West Wing? Uh, Douglas? Uh, not Michael Douglas. Sha Sheen? Charlie Sheen? Sheen? Uh, no, they're not, not Charlie, the Martin father. Sheen. Martin Sheen. Sheen. Yeah, yeah. So way back in the 70s, I think. Right. Well, yeah. I think that's right. I, no, I'd, I'd not, uh, I'd, I was, wasn't conscious of him at all until... Oh, maybe that was then. it. Right. Yeah. And you, you didn't like the film to start with. When that. I fir this was the question I was going to ask you. When I first saw it, uh, yeah, this is probably a confession and not everybody needs to bring one. I don't think I liked it. No. I think I thought it was pretentious. I think I thought it was, you know, too art house for its own good. I was certainly in the mood for a war film. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to disqualify what I'm going to say in a moment, but I, when I was sitting there in the dark, I thought, no, this, this, isn't, this isn't a war film. Um, but now I think, absolutely, this is a quintessential war film, um, and it's much else. But no, I didn't like it the first time, and so much so that when I see people nowadays and I ask them if they like The Thin Red Line, and they tell me no, I will ask them with a great deal of confidence, how many times have you seen it? And they'll say <laughs> once, I say, see it again. But you liked it the first time. Yeah, I did. I, I, um, I, I, I mean, I was very. I, I found it a very thought-provoking film, and it, it's not a conventional war movie at all. Um, I mean, there is a kind of 
war movie framework to it. It, it, it it's set in Guadalcanal and it's 1942 and uh, uh, the Americans are trying to wrest the island from the Japanese and there is a, a big battle so that's the kind of framework um, but it's it's not a conventional war film at all because the real drama is not mm. external it's internal mm. and, and much of the um, I was going to say dialogue. It's not dialogue. It's monologue. It's it, it, much of what you hear are characters talking within their own minds. Right. Um, so, so it, it's 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 not really about war. Uh, um, I mean, you, you know, it's the Second World War, but it doesn't announce itself as such. Um, it's it's much more, I think, about um, well, it's really about the, the what it, what it is that life means. Um, and it's it's a, it's a kind of um, the, the options are, and this is why you have to have the war setting. The options are on the one hand, um, is is the world is life basically horror? Because hmm. yeah, because war gives you that. And and you know, I wouldn't take my grandmother to see the film. I mean, there are I certainly wouldn't take my wife, who's who's a wimp when it comes to uh, <laughs> movies. Um, we can edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, she, no, she'll, she'll forgive me. She, 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 she's perfectly well aware of it, um, uh, because I mean, there, there are the, the, the film uh, makes you look at uh, some of the horrible things mm. that war does, and unlike some films, it, it doesn't do it because it in a kind of in a in a rather voyeuristic fashion, right. because it just uh, it, it, it likes to glory in the blood and guts. It does it because. Um, you have to to see, um, as it were, that side of the argument. That uh, and many many of the characters in the film, um, uh, um, faced with the realities of war, conclude that it's meaningless and it's horrible. Uh, but actually, the film says something opposite. And, and let's get to that. But uh, you started off well by by alerting us, alerting a viewer who hasn't seen the film to kind of the general structure, what it's about. One question on that: You said it's Guadalcanal. Uh, I think you could be forgiven if you watched the whole film and had no idea that it was Guadalcanal. I tried to. I, I saw it just this morning, oh, yes. and I tried okay. to pay attention to do they seat us properly in in the historic framework. And I think there's only one place where the John Travolta character he plays this really bizarre general, and he's flipping through the maps, and at the tip of the map you see Guadalcanal, but I think he says, they oh, call right. it the rock or something like that, and if you don't notice that it says Guadalcanal, um, I'm not sure they ever use the term. That's interesting. Uh, you could well be right, and it could well be that, that the film abstracts hmm. the story from history in that way. I mean, I, I know it's Guadalcanal because it, it's actually, well, it's supposed to be based on a book right. by a fellow called James Jones, which right. is about his, yep. it's his memoirs of the battle for Guadalcanal, but I have looked at the book, and beyond the title, <laughs> and be beyond the, 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 the vague connection with right. World War II, there, there is nothing in common. There is a, and I'm not going to remember the date, I wanted to remember the date, I think it's in the 19, maybe 60s, there's another film, Thin Red Line, and you can find it on YouTube, and I watched maybe the first 20 minutes, and as far as I can tell, there's zero connection between it and this movie. Right. It, it may follow the book, for all I know, but... I, I didn't know it was the same story at all. So I, I didn't finish it, but it might, might bear out. Yeah. Um, the, the, the narrative arc, we start off with one of the main characters, Private Wit. And where is he, and why is that the place we begin? 
And what's the, uh, what's the sort of the narrative arc of the, the well, film? Well, actually, it's quite important that we don't begin there. We don't begin there, and I knew you were going to correct me. <laughs> we begin with? We begin with um, um, a shot of, of an alligator uh, entering the water. And uh, the, the, the soundtrack is of a, mm. a, a very low, growling bass note. So there's a certain kind of uh, um, sinister quality. Um, um, but, but the film opens with a picture of an alligator entering the water. That's the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, what's, some of, what's some of the narrative uh, soundtrack to that sequence? The verbal soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't remember exactly. I think, um, well, around then, uh, the the uh, the uh, the narrator, the, the disembodied narrator, is asking questions about about evil. How did evil enter the world? I can't quite remember what's yeah, exactly no, that point. Is yeah, it? no, that's exactly it. I mean, okay. some some of the loose quotes, just summary quotes that I jotted down this morning. I, th I think maybe the first line is, war uh, is in the heart of nature. Um, he asks, why does nature vie against itself? Yes. Is there an avenging power in nature? Uh, not one power, but two. So, so, the, uh, so the film opens with, with this, this alligator. Um, and you know, given the voiceovers and the, the questions about evil and, and the origin of conflict in the world. I mean, anyone who is biblically literate right. uh, will recognize that while an alligator is not a serpent, right. it is a reptile. It is a reptile. So it, seem, it seems to me this is a, 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 a fairly direct biblical allusion to the question, which of course the book of Genesis doesn't quite answer, is uh, where did evil come from? That's right, that's right. And, and later that same narrator, uh, I don't recall the point, but he asks explicitly, um, this great evil, uh, where does it come from? How did it steal into the world? Yes. Uh, and that gator slipping into that murky, slimy... Uh, so, so stealing. Yes, okay, so that, that's interesting. That, yeah. uh, we see the gator again. Only once, yes, it's interesting. He, he, is, he, he appears... I assume it's a he. It appears... Um, um, Towards the sort of last third of the of the film, um, uh, and he's in the back of a truck. Yeah. And what's happened is that uh, the, the Americans have, ju have just won their battle, and um, um, in, in fact, they, they're 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 about they're, they've gone on leave, I think. Uh, and there's a sense of of triumph. And uh, at one point, here is. Here's the alligator um, um, strapped up in the back of this truck, and, and they're prodding and poking him. And um, uh, if you follow the, the kind of metaphor through, then this, this embodiment of evil has been uh, captured and uh, constrained and is under control. So it seems as if the, 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 the story is a happy ending, except... <laughs> Uh, just Except. after that, uh, all hell breaks right. loose, um, and the, in a sense, the, um, if you had any uh, uh, complacent fantasies about about evil being overcome and got mm. rid of, those are those are you're disabused of those quite quite dramatically. I'm 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 you know my American heart is warmed by your saying that 
that's the likely interpretation of the scene in the back of the truck with the, the alligator or the crocodile. Um, I agree. At the same time, there was almost a sinister dimension to the way the Americans were poking yeah. the beast. Did they overcome him or did they displace him? Um, no, that's a good point. I don't think Malik is saying, yep, displaced. But yes. I'm not sure he wants the comfortable sort of... No, there's a kind of uh, bullying, taunting quality to the, uh, to the troops' treatment of the alligator. Um, uh, so, yeah, you, you, if you want to be very subtle, it might yeah. be the sense that the spirit of the alligator has entered the troops. But, but um, the alligator himself is trussed up, yep. and uh, it seems as if the evil is contained um, to that extent. Now, uh, is, is Malik making an easy illusion? Just like the Americans beat the Japanese, so too they've beaten this alligator, see? Uh, how does Malik treat the Japanese enemies in this film? Well, before I made um, a contrast with Private Ryan, because um, if I remember rightly from Private Ryan, there are a number of, of German uh, characters, but they're, they're largely faceless, and they're, they're not that the one character you you get to to see more than once um, is treacherous. Hmm. Here, um, actually, Malik looks upon the Japanese with a certain measure of, of, of sympathy. Um, um, and uh, so in that sense, again, it's not a, it's not a typical war movie because the, the view is, it kind of transcends human conflict, is looking down in it. Hmm. Um, and, and the sympathies are, are quite, quite broad. No, I think that's right. There's a scene after they take, after they win their battle, uh, or just in the process of sort of mopping up, where Private Wit is looking down at the ground, and there's a, a, a Japanese soldier dead, mostly submerged under the soil, presumably through a, a shelling or something. And you just barely through the dirt see a yes. bit of his face. And now there's a Japanese voiceover, and the Japanese soldier's asking questions, one of which is something like, do you imagine that your suffering will be less because you... You were righteous. You are righteous, yeah, yes. you love truth and beauty, beauty and this type of thing. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's a which, yeah, which kind again, of if, you, if you're thinking in terms of, in, in biblical Christian terms, and there's a bit of an echo of the Psalms there. Mm. Uh, um, don't imagine that just because you love God and are righteous that things will go well for you. Right. The psalmist knows very well it doesn't. It's often <laughs> the evil who, who triumph. But I, 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 I kind of um, got you off track Earlier on, Mark, because you're asking me about, about wit, and we need to talk about right. wit, uh, because um, um, shortly after the, uh, the, the alligator scene, uh, we're introduced to this, this, this private wit, uh, who is actually a deserter, and is, is recaptured. And there's a, there's a, a crucial uh, scene where uh, wit, having been recaptured, is, is being imprisoned in the hold of a ship and he's being interviewed by uh, um, his, his former um, um, non-commissioned officer who's played by um, Sean Penn. And uh, um, the, there's a crucial exchange where Penn, who plays Sergeant Welch, um, where he says, um, 
in this world a man is nothing. And there ain't no world but this one. Mm. We're living in a world that is blowing itself to hell as fast as everybody can arrange it. In a situation like this, all a man can do is shut his eyes and let nothing touch him, look out for himself. Now, that's a very strong statement of one reading of the world <laughs> and of what <laughs> they're right. experiencing. And it, it gets repeated throughout, and, and Sergeant Welsh uh, continues to represent that, high, that, that skeptical, even cynical, despairing point of view. But wit is his counterpoint, because right. wit, in response to that, says, you're wrong, I've seen another world. And one of the questions that hangs throughout the film is, well, what is this other world that Witt has seen? Mm. Um, uh, those, those of us who are religious and Christian are, are, are rooting for the, some, some uh, reference to a world beyond this one. Right. And actually, I think the film sustains that. But mm -hmm. uh, uh, the question is, what other worlds is he talking about? And, it, and it's interesting because in the very beginning, not the very beginning, after the alligator and uh, through our little village scene, uh, Wit is recalling watching his mother die. Yes. And he says, you know, people talk about, well, first he denies that, that beauty, uh, that there's beauty to be found in death, that death can be beautiful. He says, people talk about immortality, but I've never seen it. Yes. But then when he recalls it, we get the, the visual. And best is, if, if I were to describe the scene that I saw, Wit is watching his mother die, he's at her bedside, and there's a, a little angel in the room. There's a girl in a white dress, and I don't know who she is, mm. um, but she appears to pull the mother up out of bed, and there's the, mm. the, the soundtrack of a heartbeat, and then the heartbeat stops, mm. and the girl embraces somebody who you can just see from sort of her neck to maybe her, her belly, mm. and it appears to be the same clothing the mother is wearing, so now the mother is out of bed, the girl embraces her, there's no heartbeat. Mm. And then the camera pans up and there's no ceiling to the, yep. to the room. You just see the sky. Mm. Um, mm. So this idea about, I've never seen immortality. Mm. Um, I've seen a better world. Mm. And so sight, you know, you watch the whole thing again and just pay attention to um, references to sight and viewing and vision and what people can, can see. Mm. Um, and Malik is up to something there. Mm. And so I, I wonder, you know, what, what happened from the death of his mother to the scene in the hold of the ship where mm. he recalls not seeing and now he says, no, I've seen. Mm. Um, so there's some sort of hidden character arc that Wit has gone through before we even mm. meet him. Uh, just just uh, um, before we move on from that point, um, I hadn't noticed that um, at, in the scene where Witt's mother dies, you're quite right, at the end the camera pans up toward the ceiling, except we find there is no ceiling, there's just right. the sky. Um, the same thing happens when Witt himself is shot, dead, um, toward the end of the film. Um, uh, he's surrounded by Japanese, yeah. they call upon him to surrender, he, for whatever reason, refuses and is, right. is shot, and immediately the camera moves up, um, um, in uh, uh, um, following the 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 uh, the, uh, the trees, but looks beyond the trees to a bright light. That's right. So that the camera has the same the same motion mm. upwards. No, um, that's excellent. Yeah, yeah, very good. And he and he even says, 
when he's thinking about his mother's death, I hope when my death comes, I, I meet it the same way yes. with this calm. And maybe visually, Malik is saying, job done. Yes, yes, yes. Hmm. No, that's interesting. Um, so the, so the, 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 as I understand it, the, the beginning of the film, uh, the, the question really is, um, um, is there just this world? Is, is Welsh right? And is this world basically... Um, an arena of of conflict and suffering, and the only way you can cope with it is by hardening yourself to it, becoming callous, and and closing in on yourself and becoming um, um, stoic and and invulnerable. Or uh, is private wit right? Is there another world? Uh, is there is there hope? And does it make sense, therefore, in spite of the the hardships of this world, to open yourself out? And, and uh, Private Wit uh, eventually volunteers to be a stretcher bearer. Mm. And uh, he, at one point, one of his comrades, who has uh, accidentally blown himself up with a hand grenade, is dying, and, and there's Wit cradling this man in his arms and telling him not to worry, that all will be well. Uh, so, um, and there's another scene where, um, after the battle, uh, the, the troops are recuperating... Um, and uh, Wit walks through the, the encampment and turns around, and if you're very careful, you will see a, a, a single tear come down his right cheek as he looks upon hmm. these wounded, battered men with, with compassion. Um, so, so Wit represents a kind of hope for immortality, for another world that enables him not to close in upon himself, but to open himself out and be, be vulnerable and to be selfless. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. And, and Sergeant Welsh, uh, at least in the beginning, advocates the contrary, yes. betrays himself or his own philosophy when he's the one who runs out to give morphine to the dying man. Yeah. Right? That's, that's inexplicable, yeah. given yes. his philosophy, where you watch out for yourself and you harden yourself to the things that you can't change and what can one individual do in this world with you yes. fool. Yes. And yet he does this ridiculous action uh there's this scene uh i think it's in the pause between i don't think they've won their victory yet but there's a scene where they're in the field and sergeant welsh and private wit are talking and they have almost the same dialogue where wit it's kind of mocking him but now gently yes. you know this is the only world there is yes and then he kind of almost smiles and wit almost smiles back it seems to me yes and it seems that this you know, this verbal sparring they had in the beginning has now become not quite like a, an inside joke, yeah. but, but something approaching that where Sergeant Welsh knows, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of full of it, maybe. And I'm saying things that I don't know that I quite believe. Well, it's interesting because at that point, what is Wit's response? He doesn't say a word. He openeth not his mouth. But the camera moves from his silence up to the sky to look at the moon. Hmm. <laughs> Very good. Uh, so there, there's no verbal response. Right. Uh, but there is a response. There's a response. There's a kind of, there's a kind of uh, unspoken faith. That's um, it, interesting. So in a sense, Witt is saying, I, there, no, there are no words which I can convince you. <laughs> right. Um, right. Uh, the, the, the answer is, a, is, a, is an embodied practical one. Mm -hmm. 
Um, there's this other scene that happens between Wit and Sergeant Welsh in some sort of an abandoned building after after yes. Wit comes back from the village a second time. Yes. Uh, I don't think we've we've explained that. Wit goes back to the village during the the rest. Uh, they've been pulled off the front. Yes. He goes back to the village. He finds it very different. Um, yeah, could, could we just yeah. talk about that for a moment? Because in terms of the the, the the grand arc of the of the story, it's really important. So there is this question about what this other world is that Wit thinks he's seen, and what what in the sense what vision is sustaining his ability not to harden himself in spite of the, the horrors around him. And uh, I mean, so there is a question of of whether. Uh, his 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 hope and his faith and his love are sustained by some kind of mundane earthly um, vision. Um, because at the beginning uh, we we find him hiding away in this um, uh, native village, um, um, which is all you know, harmony and light, and the children mm -hmm. play in the uh, uh, in 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 the in the sea and. Uh, uh, everyone's happy, and at one point the villagers um, are, are, are processing mm. along the seashore, singing hymns. And if if um, if you're very careful, and if you're music musically literate, you will uh, notice uh, that they're they're singing. That um, I think that the the music around that time is actually from. Uh, forays requiem and the, the the music is in paradisum in paradise. So this is the paradisal <laughs> village. Right. So is is this the vision, the the secular vision of of human possibility that uh, sustains wit? Well, um, if you thought that, then nice. right. at the moment you're talking about, uh, I think it's again it's after the the battle has been fought. Uh, wit returns to what appears to be the same village. And the village is is diseased, and uh, the the men are quarrelling, yep. and the children are fearful. And I think at one point the camera shows you a row of skulls. Yep. So it's as if the village has fallen; um, it's corrupted. So there ain't no there's there's no ground of of hope there. And then, similarly, as I said earlier, um, um, it seems as if the the alligator of evil has been has been captured and and uh, um, constrained and controlled. But then, shortly after that, um, the the airfield, the American airfield, is bombed by the Japanese. So the war continues. Mm -hmm. So there's there's no end to this. And at the same, uh, just about the same time, um, another character, uh, Private Bell, who throughout the the film, um, in in battle, is sustained by uh, memories and reveries about his wife and his wife's love, um, which, which explicitly um, sustains him in, in, in battle. But then, uh, just before the, uh, the Japanese raid the airfield, um, after the Americans have won the, the battle, they think, um, uh, Private Bell receives a, a Dear John letter from his wife right. saying she's deserting from another man, and he staggers around, literally staggers around the, uh, the field. His 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 hope his his the ground of his faith has been dashed. So the, there's 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 the uh, there's Private Bell who is disillusioned. There's the resumption of Japanese attack. There's the corrupt village. Uh, 
I, of course, I'm a theologian, so I would do this, wouldn't I? But I, I, I cannot help but <laughs> right. understand this as, as saying that whatever world, um, whatever vision of a world sustains faith and hope and, and love, uh, it ain't this one, because whatever glimpses of another world you see in this one are perishable. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's right. That's good. I, I haven't been able to pull all of those together so neatly, and that's no, that's that's that seems clear. That's very good. Um, Wit returns from the village. He sees Sergeant Welsh in this sort of abandoned building, mm. and it's just the two of them. There's you know they're they're in the camp, and they seem like old friends in a sense. You know, Wit sort of chiding him. I think you care about me. Sergeant Welsh. Um, Sergeant Welsh is sort of chiding him back. You know, you still got that spark. And he's kind of smirking. Mm. And Wit looks at him and says, I, I, I see a spark in you. Yeah. And Welsh looks like he's been mm. assaulted. Mm. I mean, his, mm. I, I'm not quite sure how I would describe his face, but mm. I don't know if you recall that scene particularly. Mm. He looks like he's been punched. Mm. He looks, uh, you know, Incredibly sad. Uh, I'm not sure what's there, hmm. but then uh, I've heard your 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 homily on the thin red line, and then you 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 have an extended uh, reflection on Sergeant Welsh, um, and how we, how that the film concludes with his words. Hmm. Uh, what's 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 his story? What do we what do we make of Sergeant Welsh? Yeah, so someone's I think the film really is about. It's a kind of, uh, um, I was going to say morality tale, but it's more than that. It's a kind of spirituality tale. Because the film is really about uh, what's going to happen to Sergeant Welsh's soul. Mm. Uh, uh, will he remain um, uh, trapped in his um, dismal, desperate uh, cynicism, his callousness? Although, as you've said, uh, in spite of himself, he, he, he breaks through his callousness and runs to the aid of this um, young soldier who's, who's dying painfully. Um, and in a sense, I think Wit discerns there's, there's a spark wanting to break out of, of Welsh, uh, but Welsh can't bring himself to, to own it at that point. Um, but it, it's right at the end of the film there's a there's a... Um, uh, Wit is dead, Wit's been shot, um, and at, at Wit's grave, Sergeant Welsh crouches and says, where's your spark now? And, 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 and much, you, know, you can read that different ways, right. you've right. got to listen to the tone. It could be, a kind of, it could be the, 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 the cynic's triumph, so mm. where's your spark now, you right. naive fool? But mm, I think that's not the tone. It's a kind of it's it's more quizzical as if so. Where is your spark now? Um, sort of Hamlet with the skull in his hand kind yeah. of moment. Where, where but it makes dry? you think that at that point Welsh is one is in a sense the the spark in in Private Wit was so beautiful. Mm. The idea of it being simply simply extinguished makes less sense than the idea that somehow it it continues. Um, so the, the, the sense of, so Private Welsh is not yet a man of faith, or if he is, it's, it's a very tentative faith. But then um, shortly afterwards, um, 
Welsh is part of a, a troop who are marching past a cemetery. Uh, um, and uh, as they, um, they march past, um, uh, you hear him saying to himself, or is he? But he certainly says in the privacy of his own, of his own heart, if I never meet you in this life, let me feel the lack. A glance from your eyes, and my life will be yours. Now, he's not talking to any other human being. <laughs> right. Who is he talking to? Is he, talk is he talking to, to Wit? Well, Wit's dead. And besides, um, he certainly had met Wit in this life. So, if I never meet you in this life, let me feel the lack. A glance from your eyes, and my life will be yours. I can't understand that in any other way other than a prayer. Right. He's talking to God. But he's talking to God for the first time. Um, so in spite of the horror, in spite of the death of uh, signs of hope and glory, such as wit, uh, in the end, I think Sergeant Welsh, um, in spite of himself, has acquired faith enough to address God. Hmm. And, and, and faith enough to apparently disown the desire for callousness and to to admit a preference for feeling the lack. There must be a yes, grace yes. in feeling the lack. That's right. Okay. He, yes, he's willing to. Yes, because the, <laughs> um, there are different ways in which you can treat the apparent absence of God. You can say, mm. "God doesn't exist," so I I, I I will not I will not mourn his non-existence. Um, I will not grieve. Because to grieve is to imply that something did exist or should exist. Uh, so in a sense, um, Private Welsh at the end allows himself to feel, to grieve the lack, which is oddly a kind of faith, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We, we could talk about this film all day long, <laughs> um, and I would love to. Uh, maybe in closing, uh, I, I think you've said enough to make this question probably moot, but uh, why do you, you don't just love this film, but you've, you've taught this film. Yes. Um, uh, and then, and, and films generally, why, why do you find, uh, you know, you and Gene Elstein, uh, and if I can count myself among your company, you know, there's, there's some who, who recognize uh, not just the joy of film, Mm. Um, and I don't mean this in a crass mercenary sense, but the utility of, of film in the classroom yep. and the value of it. Yep. Um, can you say something about all of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, certain, I've used this film several times um, in, in my, my course on, on Christian ethics, and I use it really to try and get kids to uh, see that um, um, the morality that makes sense depends on a larger vision of, of the world and the nature of, of human life. And in this film, I mean, there, there are two ways of reading the world, that it's basically horror or it's ultimately glory. And according to how you read it, if you read it the first way, then callousness and selfishness mm -hmm. makes sense. Second way, then, then openness and vulnerability and, and charity makes sense. So that's, that's, that's the kind of, that's the main point I, I'd like um, students to, to, to get from the film. But more generally, um, uh, I mean, I've always, 
you know, I've always been interested in, in moral questions. Um, but I've also been interested in, in working out an account of, of moral life that, that can actually uh, stand up to the, to the messy, um, tragic, uh, sometimes horrible, uh, um, or at least, uh, since the film portrays this, uh, certainly human life is extremely ambiguous. I mean, there, there are moments of um, tremendous beauty and glory and, and, and um, uh, life. At the same time, there are moments of, of awful uh, horror. Mm -hmm. um, and um, um, I want my Christian ethic to be one that can look the horror in the face and still stand up. Um, my, my fear is an awful lot of, of Christian ethics is, is <laughs> um, it, it's not willing to grasp nettles. It's it's not willing to to acknowledge um, that the, the the stuff of life is often very in, intractable and messy and doesn't easily fit fit neat categories. Um, and, and and real life um, stories, whether um, um, history or whether fiction or whether film, uh, they they test your moral assumptions. Uh, and they, they can help them grow too and, and, and mature. So um, um, I, I'm, I'm not happy with my ethic to be simply um, logically consistent and, uh, uh, and abstractly perfect. I want it to work. Mm. Uh, and this so, is one way of testing it. Fantastic. That sounds like a great place to end a dark ops podcast. So Nigel, <laughs> thank you very much for this. I enjoyed it. Thank you. No, indeed. Go, we, uh, go see Thin Red Line, a uh, fantastic film. But don't take your grandmother. Don't take your grandmother <laughs> or Nigel's wife, apparently. So, very good. Thank you. Welcome. <laughs>